Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay, so um, I'm going to try to somehow put this um, in a what we're doing in a large context um, to see the interconnectedness that happens um, within, intrapersonally, interpersonally and communally or societally uh, and um, really going um, from me to we but seeing that the interconnectedness is happening on all levels if you're uh, if you're familiar with the you might be familiar maybe you're not with the, uh, the, both the principle of interconnectedness, I'm sure you've all heard that word, uh, but the, the Buddhist uh, teachings on, on emptiness, which is a kind of lofty, sounds very profound and esoteric word that sometimes can be hard to get a handle on. Emptiness which is very related to uh, another um, word in Buddhist practice, anatta, or not-self. And emptiness really means empty of a separate self, that we are not only discrete entities to whom life is happening, but we are life happening through us. And there is really, uh, from a larger perspective, uh, no separation. It is just life continually transforming. And the emptiness refers to uh, uh, removing the barriers and seeing that even in this form itself is, um, is not subject to agency. There's not anyone behind running the show, although it might seem that way. And like you, you brought up in the, um, in the Q&A about, uh, oh, well, noticing the observer. If I'm, if I'm not the observer, then who, who am I? And, and I was reminded, I, uh, afterwards of, um, if you're familiar with Eckhart Tolle, who's a really wonderful teacher, brilliant teacher, uh, whose awakening happened when he, he asked that question to himself. In a very, he was very depressed, suicidal uh, for quite some time. This is when he was, I think, 29. And he, was, he had gotten to the end of his, his rope and really thought about not going on. And he's, he writes, he's sitting on a, on a bench 
and he says to himself, you know, I can't stand myself any longer. And then he heard that question and he took it apart and he said, well, wait a second. I can't stand myself any longer. Who's the I that can't stand myself? And the whole world kind of collapsed and he saw there was no I behind the whole show. And he became awakened and it didn't stop. So keep asking yourself that question. Who knows? But to see that this flow of life is happening right through us and there is no, there's no one in that changing experience to whom it's happening. In fact, here's another perspective that, that might help you uh, see a deeper dimension of this um, uh, interconnectedness. This is from uh, a wonderful uh, book, a classic book uh, from the 70s, I think, uh, called Lives of a Cell by Lewis Thomas, who is a brilliant biologist. He says, a good case can be made for our non-existence as entities. We are not made up as we'd always supposed of successively enriched packets of our own parts. We are shared, rented, occupied at the interior of our own cells, driving them, providing the oxidative energy that sends us out for the improvement of each shining day, our mitochondria, and in a strict sense, they're not ours. They turn out to be little separate creatures replicating in their own fashion, privately, with their own DNA and RNA quite different from ours. Without them, we would not move a muscle, drum a finger, think a thought. Mitochondria are stable and responsible lodgers, and I choose to trust them. But what of the other little animals similarly established in my cells, sorting and balancing me, clustering me together, my centrioles, basal bodies, and probably a good many other mere obscure, more obscure tiny beings at work inside my cells, each with its own special genome? They are as foreign and as essential as aphids and anthills. My cells are not the pure line entities I was raised with. They are ecosystems more complex than Jamaican Bay. I like to think that they work in my interest, that each breath they draw for me. But perhaps it is they who walk through the local park in the early morning, sensing my senses, listening to my music, thinking my thoughts. far out. And that's just on a cellular level. Then there's the, the bacterial and organism uh, ecology inside, as uh, I love, to, I love this, this fact that Wes Nisker uh, writes in uh, his book, Buddha's Nature. He says, uh, points out the fact that right now, in your mouth, There are more living organisms 
than there have been humans since the beginning of time. <laughs> Chew on that one. <laughs> and be appreciative of the fact that you can chew on it. And that's just in your mouth, let alone your stomach, which has many, many more. So, you're not so separate. If those bacteria get out of balance, you're in real trouble. We are in a continual symbiotic relationship within us and with the world around us. So that's on one level, the biological level. The Buddha in the Satipatthana Sutta, the discourse on mindfulness, the whole discourse is pointing to the direct experience of deconstructing this sense of self that we are so bound up in that we view the world in as being separate and me and everything out there. He says, take a look at your physical sensations, your breath, your posture, your various sensations that are happening in your body. Take a look at your mind and the, uh, the different mind states and thoughts that come through. He also says, take a look at your, your relationship to the outside world and the flavor of experience, the pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neutrality, uh, which I, I won't go into now because I don't want to confuse things but he says if you take a look and there you are sitting and maybe you've seen this for yourself in in the meditation practice there you are sitting and you notice oh breathing in breathing out and if you're really attentive you might notice oh and here's uh here's a sound oh and here's a sensation and here's a thought and here's a feeling and they're all coming and going and coming and going. Have you noticed that? When you sit, how many thoughts have you had during a sitting? And can you point to them and say, oh, that one is me? Or, oh, I'm, I'm creating all of these thoughts when they're just kind of happening on their own. If you had control over your thoughts, you'd probably have just loving thoughts of blessing humanity all the time and probably a few more slip through there. Do you say, oh, I'm going to have some self-doubt right, right now. That, that, could, that could serve me. It just comes on its own, right? Oh, some rage. Yeah, that might be good. It's all just coming and going. And to see the impersonality of it that this mind has a mind of its own. This body is continually working, whether you realize it or not, to preserve this ecosystem. And that's really how I, in my more clear moments, think of myself, as I just read from uh, Lewis Thomas's piece. You're an ecosystem. You might say, well, wait, what about me? 
it's not to deny you and your personality and your history and all the things that, that move you and touch you. It's just that that's one level of reality. I, I pinch this skin and you don't feel it. It's true. But that's just one level of reality. And the more you see it from that bigger, vaster level, the more you could play at being you. As if you were running the show. But you're really not. And the Buddha, another way he had of looking at it in, the, in that Satipatthana Sutta, he said, we are this mind-body process. Five aggregates is uh, one of the teachings. There's form, and then there's feeling, perception, mental formation, and consciousness. Those four are the mind. There's the mind, and there's the body. And he says, this is a kind of way of deconstructing who you are, because you're just this continual changing flow <clears throat> of mental formations and thoughts and a consciousness that sees that's not even yours as well and this body that goes through what it goes through what about the consciousness is that yours if you're looking at this form right now and your eyes are working can you not see me can you turn off your consciousness and just, well, I think I've had enough right now, so I'll flip the switch. No, you can't turn it off. It just shines through you. Can you not hear these words if your ears are working? No, that ear consciousness just knows experience. It's this mysterious thing that we come into this world with. As... Uh, Brian Swim, the, the wonderful uh, astrophysics uh, scientist and theologian says in uh, The Universe is a Green Dragon, which is a really great book, he says, we are a star's way of knowing itself. We are star stuff. We all came from the Big Bang and we've somehow separated out for a period of time and there's consciousness imbued in all of these forms. But from the perspective of a star, it's just a way that it can know itself through these different manifestations of it. One way that I like to uh, point to this, if it seems a little bit esoteric, um, is uh, uh, using Buckminster Fuller's um, pointer of seeing yourself in uh, shifting the way you see yourself. So just try this for a moment. Close your eyes and go inside. And usually, we think of ourselves as somebody, as a noun, as something occupying space. And that's a, 
handy way to go through life with a name and that people know who it is when they say your name. But for a moment, shift from that noun perspective to see yourself as a verb, as a field of activity that is life expressing itself. You are a verb. And just relax into that. Nothing to make happen. Nothing to control. Just relax and receive and tune into life as it knows itself through this form. Notice the freedom in letting go of being you. Simply life just happening. You get a sense of that shift. There's a real freedom in that. You know, I think it's a little cool. No, just. And in that shift, once you have that perspective, then you can really honor and respect and understand the history and the, uh, the things that make you uniquely you it's not to throw that out the window, but it's just to see it in a different light. To see all of the stuff that, the ways that you get caught are just habits of mind that have just been practiced. And then the awareness can see it and see, oh yeah, oh look at how that habit got there. Or whether or not you realize how it got there. Oh, there's just that habit. Press the button and there it is. And there's great compassion that can come from that. No sense of blame, no need to improve. The awareness itself is quite extraordinary. And when you see it from that point of view, can you really say, my pure awareness is better than your pure awareness? It doesn't make any sense. It's just awareness knowing this history. This is a beautiful poem that I love from Dana Falls. She says, Settle in the here and now. Reach down into the center where the world is not spinning and drink this holy peace. Feel relief flood into every cell. Nothing to do, nothing to be, but what you are already. Nothing to receive, but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. 
nothing to run from or run toward, just this breath, awareness, knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath, awareness, waking up to truth. Nothing to receive but what flows effortlessly from the mystery into form. Nothing to run from or run toward, just this breath, awareness knowing itself as embodiment. Just this breath, awareness waking up to truth. Then you can start to see how all the all the knots get formed and, and how you uh, get lost and to bring true self-compassion to, to all of that complexity. This is from Nyoshal Kempo, a great Tibetan master. He says, Buddha nature, the essence of awakened enlight- enlightenment itself is present in everyone. Its essence is forever pure and flawless. Those who recognize their true nature are enlightened. Those who ignore it or overlook it are deluded. There's no way to enlightenment other than by recognizing Buddha nature and authentically identifying it within one's own stream of being. I'll show you or remind you who you really are. This is uh, Chloe Thomas from Melbourne, Australia, who was born uh, eight weeks premature. And this picture had not been, uh, was taken before she reached actually nine months after conception. Meet Chloe and meet you. This is who you came into the world with as. This is who you were, as somebody was saying, was it, uh, I forget, you were saying the other day, you came in as that beautiful baby, innocent and wide-eyed, ready to greet the world. And if a baby is diapered and fed and given a little bit of love, what do they do? They squeal with delight. Wow, isn't it amazing? That's one reason we love being around babies, because it just reminds us. And you might be saying, "Yeah, that was a long time ago. I don't, I don't know if it's, if it's there. It's in there." And actually, if you take an adult and put an adult in an fMRI machine, and they are um, pain-free in the body, big uh, prerequisite. And if they are stress-free in the mind, also pretty big, but if those obscurations or those different habits uh, that have encrusted are not there, what they exhibit, five things in, in, in the different centers in the brain that light up, they are conscious, calm, creative, caring, and content. That's our true nature when we're not 
stressed or confused. So one of the aims of practice is to see through or understand those obscurations and get in touch with who we really are, that Buddha nature, as, uh, as Nyosho Kempo says. And so part of that is being willing to look at those obscurations and to, um, to not flinch and run away from and to see, oh, this is it, and learning a bit more and more to open up to those parts of us that are hard to open up to. This is from Jennifer Wellwood, a, a really beautiful poem called Unconditional. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant jewel-like essence. I bow to the one who has made it so, who has crafted this master game. To play it is pure delight, to honor its form, true devotion. So that's, that's what we're doing, seeing, being willing to see through and understand those obscurations to see all the, the beauty that Buddha nature, that divine spark, that kingdom of heaven or still small voice, whatever you want to call it, uh, right inside of us. How could it be otherwise? I was at a, a retreat in 1979, a, a three-month retreat that the Dalai Lama came um, he had just come to the States for the first time. He came in September to the States and, uh, and uh, the, the beginning of December he came to visit us, uh, which is a great way to end a three-month retreat, have the Dalai Lama come and, and visit. And uh, he, was, uh, he, he answered questions and uh, somebody said, oh, what do I do with all, the, uh, with all this self-judgment and self-hatred? And it took a while for the translator to actually get across the concept. It went back and forth, and, and he didn't quite understand at the beginning. And then he finally got it, and he looked at this guy, and he said, you're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. Imagine sitting for two and a half months and the Dalai Lama saying, you're wrong. You know, you're. But he said it with tremendous compassion, and he said, what I got from it anyway was, what makes you think that everything else is part of the fabric of the universe and somehow you're a mistake and not worthy of being part of this all? This is just a misperception. So we see all the things that get in the way to the place that we truly belong. So this is seeing the connection that we have within ourselves and that we are 
interconnected with the web of life right inside of ourselves and that we are a divine manifestation of life as as uh, franco as frank was saying um about uh, indra's net we are a node in indra's net that is perfectly part of the whole fabric then there's the complexity of dealing with others have you noticed it's hard enough to control this mind when it gets to be relational then you've got another mind or many minds to kind of navigate and it's complicated but it's also beautiful we are um, one way I think of of us as we are all um, receiver transmitter energy units we are this bundle of energy of life that is continually receiving from the outside making sense of it and sending and affecting everything around us too so when you see yourself in that light you see that we are in a very real sense we can't be separated from life we're continually interacting and being um, affected by it and affecting everything around us and when our mm, our internal reality is uh, is a bit shaky or confused we can easily pick up and be affected by what we perceive as negative energy towards us or if there is actual negative energy towards us and we can be also affected by positive energy coming towards us that's why the Buddha said as I said earlier in, uh, in the retreat it's so important to keep the company of the wise and avoid as best as we can the company of those who uh, put you down or who don't help you get in touch with that goodness inside <clears throat> and remember that image of the tender sapling that more the more you're rooted deeply rooted the more you can um, you can withstand the energy around you and also even affect it and transform it because you yourself have developed the connection to all of that uh, goodness and beauty and it awakens it in others that's how it works we have these mirror neurons that take on the world around us and we can get activated and have other others trigger us in some ways but we can also get activated and and help uh, awaken by being around wise beings and we can get inspired by others and we are continually in relationship to others not just people let me just read this passage that I love this is from a 
a book, one of my favorite books on compassion called, uh, it's called The Compassionate Life by Mark Ian Barish. He says, uh, he was talking about uh, going to this, um, uh, this uh, um, laboratory set up by a group called HeartMath down in Santa Cruz that looks at how we affect each other. And it's a kind of scientific approach to uh, skillful uh, relating in the world and, and affecting others. And so he was brought into this laboratory by the, um, uh, by the researcher there. And he was uh, told to sit down next to um, a Petri dish with some yogurt in it. And uh, the researcher placed electrodes in the dish. And the needle just sat there. And then this guy asked Mark to think of a deeply disturbing emotional experience. And this is him talking now. Rummaging through memory, I had a sudden flash of my sister's death and I was flooded with a surge of grief. At that very moment, all by itself, the needle on the meter buried itself in the red zone and then oscillated wildly back and forth. We hadn't touched anything. The box was hooked up to nothing except the yogurt, strawberry, my favorite. <laughs> nothing in the room had changed but my feelings. When I switched my mental focus back to my surroundings, the needle went still. Okay, McCready said, now think of an incident of physical pain. I called to mind a recent medical checkup that had involved taking several blood samples. The needle kicked fitfully like a man whose sleep had been disturbed. He had me remember a moment of profound embarrassment, I'm not telling, and again, the needle twitched abruptly as if in response. What was being revealed here, he claimed, was that all living creatures, from microorganisms to pets to people, resonate to the field of the human heart. And uh, it, we probably have seen this, you know, easily you see it for yourself when you're around an animal who can sense your energy field. But even, you know, some people seem to have green, green thumbs you know, plants just seem to thrive around them and others, a brown thumb, no matter what they do. Some, you know, and there's that secret of life of plants that's it's so mysterious. We affect everything around us. <clears throat> and particularly, we affect each other as humans. And I wanted to do a, a, a couple of exercises uh, with you around how we affect each other. Mm. Because we do create this field by the energy that we put out. In the, the loving kindness practice, the metta practice, loving kindness, the, the metta, you're just wishing well for others, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be at ease. You're wishing yourself well, you're wishing others well. The near enemy of metta is attachment. It looks like metta, it looks like loving kindness, but it's very different. 
where there's a grasping and a wanting. And we can easily get caught in the pain of love, but really love, true love, metta at least, is not painful. And just to show you the, the difference between these, just to, uh, close your eyes for a moment. And uh, think of somebody who's really important to you, a really important relationship. Doesn't necessarily have to be an uncomplicated relationship. Somebody who really matters. And uh, imagine them right here in front of you. And, uh, it, and seeing, seeing them in that space that you really appreciate who they are. Maybe seeing them happy. Oh, thanks for picking me. And seeing them smile back at you. And just send them some loving, kind thoughts. Like, may you be happy. May you be at ease. May you feel my love for you. And notice how that feels, just to wish them well. How it feels in your body and in your mind, in your heart. And now, think of how it is when you want something from them. When you don't want them to disappoint you when you have an agenda for them, I hope they don't blow it. Notice how that feels. How it feels in your body, in your mind, in your heart. Please don't disappoint me. I won't leave you here. Take a nice deep breath. And once again, just get in touch with the fact that you really care about them and want to see them happy. See them smiling back again. And just wish them well. May you really know that I love you. And just wish for your well-being May you really be happy and peaceful and know that I care. Notice how that feels. Notice any difference? So, what I want to do in a moment is uh, uh, an exercise with you just to um, look and see about going beyond the whatever perceived barriers there are and looking deeply at uh, 
at another person. Because when we look deeply, we can see all of that that Buddha nature that's right in there, or we can sense it. But often we either don't have the time, or we don't have the energy, or for whatever reason, it's it's hard to let uh, to let someone in, or uh, to uh, to go and see somebody else. But this is a, a simple little exercise that. Uh, works with these uh, different uh, divine abodes, heart spaces. So um, I'd like you to do this. You need to find a partner and maybe somebody that you don't know and, uh, and just wait for the next instruction. So, and if you don't have a partner, raise your hand and we can, uh, one of us can be a partner. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.